Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. The recent extreme weather has brought many problems with it. And joining us now with advice on how to deal with some of them are Lawrence and Alvin Bell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn. Over the years, they have inspired millions of hesitant do-it-yourselfers to take repairs into their own hands. Alvin served as the household hints and safety editor with Family Circle magazine for over two decades. He was a regular on ABC TV's Good Morning America for five years, also on ABC's Talk Radio Network for five years. Al Sun Lawrence is the company's president and chief inspector, licensed in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. And they join us now to offer their expert advice to you, our listeners. Uh, you can call us at 212-209-2877 if you have questions for Al or Larry, or you can email your question to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. That's leonardlopate at wbai.org. The phone number 212-209-2877. Al and Larry, welcome back to our show. Hey, how are you? Good to be here today. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad that you're here. Uh, there's been a lot of snow in our area. Is throwing down ice melt a good way to manage snow and ice on our walkways? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I myself slipped on some ice last night coming home uh, on a sheet of ice, probably some melted snow from uh, that melted out and stayed there without drainage. And sure enough, I landed on my butt, and, uh, but I got up okay. Nothing happened. Ah. Pretty lucky. But other people are not, and it, I just wanted to bring the attention that all over the city, in my, and I only experienced it myself, is that the quadrants of the corners where there, where you have to cross the street, maybe a signal light there, maybe no signal lights, that the owners of those properties that front those quadrant corners are responsible to clean all the ice and snow away from the walkway and passageway to the other side of the street. And that's, uh, that's part of the New York City rules and regulations from the Department of Transportation. Well, the, uh, the ice melt is usually a combination of calcium chloride, magnesium chloride, potassium chloride, sodium chloride, even urine sometimes. Uh, how does it work? Well, that's what I read. Um, how does it work, and uh, is it safe for the environment? Well, it, it, it depends upon where it's draining into. Uh, hopefully, it drains into the uh, sewer system, and uh, it's supposed to go through some sewage disposal system where they extract something. I don't know the technology going into that, but if you're salt is on near uh, like shrubbery or, or trees or something like that, you may uh, find out that that tree could die from too much of that uh, calcium chloride or the salt or, or even the chemicals that come into it. Uh, those are very, uh, uh, have a lot of acidity to them, and that's what burns the roots and prevents them from uh, ex- extracting water from the soil below during the summer. I read that rock salt can damage concrete as well. Larry? Yes, that's true. Um, especially when the concrete is within a couple of years old, because concrete continues to set 
for almost seven years after wow. it's poured. So concrete does not just, it, it gets to almost 90% of its strength within a week or two, but it will t- continue to set for, se- for seven years after it's poured. That being said, that means that it's constantly trying to absorb water, and if there's a salt or other materials in the water, it will absorb that in, which, in fact, you're correct, will weaken the concrete or cause the surface, at least the surface of it, to erode. I also want to say that it, I found it to be much more beneficial that if you have the wherewithal and the uh, consciousness to pre-salt your driveway, your, your walkways, your sidewalk, before it even starts to snow, it really makes it much easier to remove the snow once it has fallen. I found it this past, uh, last Monday when we had the heavy snowstorm that I actually went out and, and dusted everything with it. And then when I actually had to go out and shovel the snow, it came up a lot easier. So that is something that people should consider. As far as the environmental, I'm just going to, I can't really speak on to that because that's not my area of expertise, but I'm going to say less is, less is more. Yeah. Use as little, be sparing, don't dump piles of it anywhere, and, uh, and, and just try to, you don't have to t- pour a ton of it. If you scatter around, it will spread itself around and will uh, cause the, uh, the freezing temperature of the, of the ice to go lower so it's harder, so it'll cause the, 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 the ice to melt. Um, and, and that means if you're lowering the freezing temperature, that means it has to get much colder for that to melt, yeah. and therefore it causes it to be not ice when at normal, like our temperatures, which are in the 20s, 30s. I was in Vermont last month. Uh, they, they have a lot more snow than we get in the metropolitan <laughs> area, uh, yeah. and they don't and they don't put salt down. They put soil down because they believe that the salt is bad for the roads. That's not, yeah, that's but not a bad also, idea. But they don't have storm sewers that would get clogged <laughs> up with all the dirt. True. Uh, if we if we sanded our roads, yes, sanding is great, but then. They, you know, when they have the sand wash away, it washes away onto the dirt on the side of the road. Yeah. If we did that, we would have storm drains that would be filled with dirt. Uh, so we uh, we don't have that. We don't have that benefit. I agree, it works great, but we can't do it. No. Well, anyway, salt is really very toxic to a lot of mechanical equipment that's in the uh, in the streets or buried in the streets. If you have uh, piping and conduits that are made out of uh, iron or, or even copper or something like that, the salt will eventually eat away from them, and that's why some you have under, underground leakage or pipe bursting uh, in the summertime. That's because some of the salt has wrapped itself around the piping and caused it to oxidize at an accelerated rate. That's no. the problem with the salt. And that also adds to sometimes we get transformer fires in in the underground uh, in the underground vaults, which happens from time to time, or manhole covers that blow off because of also, the salt wreaking havoc on these on this equipment. The, a remo- even the, even the under, underground uh, electrical equipment that Con Edison has all over the place, and even. Uh, communication equipment that is buried in the roadways and streets 
salt does give havoc to a lot of equipment. It's it's it's, it's a good thing for the things that it does, but it's not a good thing for the things that it that you don't want it to do. Now. Uh, a reminder to our listeners that if you want to join, I don't know, is there somebody playing dice in the background? There's a weird scra- scraping sound. Uh, you can call us at 212-209-2877, or you, can, or you can email your question to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Larry, are you doing something that's making that weird sound? No, I'm just sitting here in my car uh, talking on the phone. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, those are the uh, still. That's the number if you want to call. Icicles often form from the water that drips from uh, leaf and rain gutters. Should we pull them off? Absolutely. Well, if if it's hanging over a sidewalk or something like that, that could be dangerous. But it also could be very beautiful. Uh, Up in Massachusetts. uh, the icicles come off the mountains and have icicles that are like 20 feet long. It is it's just absolutely gorgeous to see that if you have a chance to go up uh, into the uh, into Massachusetts and Connecticut where you have icicles off of the mountains. It's a great view Ooh. to see. <laughs> but I'm going to say for us, for us city dwellers, if you have ice cubes hanging over any kind of walkway off of trees or gutters or whatever, yeah, knock them off. Okay. Okay? For for the real people. (laughs) Yeah. Okay? Here's a a listener has written this. He says, uh, I'm currently going through, um, starting early yesterday morning, my landlord began uh, doing extremely loud renovations on the apartment below without any notice. What notice is the landlord legally required to give us, if any? Also, is there any legal recourse? Do we have a right to a, a partial rent credit, for example? Well, they're a, a legally allowed to work like a, a, a six days a week construction on most projects, and but you can't start earlier than maybe seven o'clock. You got to be. It has to be from after seven until about maybe six o'clock, and you have to stop at some point in time. You can't do the overtime, but you can't stop construction. And there is no requirement that you have to notify a tenant next door that you're doing some uh, some renovation. Uh, uh, if, if you're doing renovation to an adjoining building, however, there is an obligation for a next-door neighbor of a building next to you that you're going to do some construction because your new construction can cause damage to the existing adjoining buildings. So there is a requirement of that, but not for tenants. Yeah, well, obviously it wasn't as big a problem as it is today where so many people are staying home. Uh, We uh, are inviting our listeners to call us again. Our number is 212-209-2877. And let's take a call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, good afternoon. As always, I'm enjoying your program. So oh, well, thank you so much. And I would definitely feel an orphan. Anyway, what's, what's up? No situation. I've, I am very partial to table four. I find it to be extremely efficient. You know? Could you speak up just a bit? I said I find it very um, 
beneficial to use table salt. Okay, table salt. Extremely beneficial. But when you when you spread it out, it doesn't have to be in abundance, but you need to be very close to the ground because table salt is light and it has a tendency to blow. It is hmm. very, very efficient. And as for the woman that spoke about um, disturbing her early in the morning or late at night, there are laws in place for that. Just as if you play a radio outside very late at night, you can yeah. be, um, you can get a fine for it. And I have a feeling it's during the day. Yeah, um, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that the times Thank generally Thank you. that are people allowed to work are from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then you have to stop because then it's considered a nuisance. Okay, well, let's go on with some of the other things that uh, we were going to address today. Uh, again, a reminder uh, that if you want to join the conversation, our number is 212-209-2877, or you can email a question to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. You've recommended in the past that we have our radiators cleaned and vacuumed. How, how do we do that? Well, that one's that one's kind of easy. That one is uh, the uh, have a vacuum cleaner, you know, uh, hopefully one with a hose and a, and one of those dust and one of those dust fittings, and you you just go over the if it's a regular cast iron freestanding, that one's kind of easy. If it is a convector with a cover on it, you have to manipulate the cover off of the radiator. And most of them slide up and then slide out. Um, then you would go in there with a the vacuum cleaner and clean all of the uh, all of the dirt that's in there, and that will actually increase the efficiency of the radiator. But one thing I wanted to talk about more, especially now in the days of COVID, is that for people who have forced air heating systems, and forced air heating systems are the most common heating system across this country, that you should change your filters a little bit more often. Because though the filter was not designed to clean the air for breathing, a lot of the uh, uh, particulate and especially some of the COVID uh, uh, viruses could get caught in that uh, filter. And you don't want to reuse the filter. You do if they are disposable filters, you want to dispose of them. But cleaning them a little bit more often, if let's say it was every two months, maybe want to hop that up to every month. And that would be beneficial for health overall. Alvin? Yes, that's true, too. You've got to understand that the, 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 there are filters that can be cleaned and washed with soap and water uh, and a little bit of uh, bleach into the water would also help and make it more sanitary. But there are some systems that you can't clean the filters. You actually have to replace them. So you have to go out and buy uh, uh, more of them than you would normally uh, use during uh, uh, un, uh, times when the, we don't have an uh, epidemic. But I also want to say that in cleaning the filters, you know, subscribe to the same, uh, uh, same um, uh, regimen that you would for washing your hands, the same amount of time you would wash your hands, but also use as hot a water as possible to clean the, uh, to make sure that you kill anything any uh, bacteria and viruses that are in the filter. Yeah, You're listening to Leonard. I just want to do a, an ID, Al. 
Uh, this is Leonard located large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. My guests are Alvin and Lawrence Hubel of Accurate Building Inspectors and regular contributors to this program. You were going to say, Al? Yeah, I was going to say that when you take off those filters or anything like that, you should wear a mask while you're doing that. Because okay. Just, just while you touch them or disturb them, you're actually agitating them. And some of the dust and dirt and the viruses that may be in that will be scattered in the atmosphere. So you should wear a mask while you're doing that. Actually, Alvin makes a good point because while you're removing the filter, it wouldn't be bad to have your vacuum cleaner at hand and just sucking up all the dirt that falls away or even pulling out some of the, the surface dust that's on it and get that right into the vacuum cleaner. So that wouldn't Should be we, a bad idea either. Should we be vacuuming uh, electric baseboard heaters? Uh, yeah, but don't get uh, just the surfaces and just, you know, again, just... You know, most of these things are pretty tough, and you're not going to cause an electric shock or anything. But don't, you know, you have to use good judgment and that you want to clean these things out. You want to suck out the dirt from the bottom and from the top, but don't force anything. Uh, when you're forcing it, that's when you create problems. With hot water, I'm, hot water or steam radiators, I'm not so worried because they're, they're, they're very hardy, and it's very hard to break them. But with What about water heaters? Water heaters are used all year round. Do they need to be adjusted for the cold weather? Not really. Uh, water heaters, they have, uh, if it, it, whether it's a, uh, a, a water heater that's heated from a, 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 a central heating system or whether it's a separate gas-fired or oil-fired water heaters, they are normally adjusted. Uh, in the combustion chamber, if it's gas or oil, uh, or the oil burners, the, on the oil burners, there's a filter that filters the oil. But on gas burners, all there is is a combustion chamber that usually has some accumulation of some debris that can be vacuumed out once in a while, but not as frequently as you would want. But that mm. would improve the efficiency of it. But Alvin, Alvin, I need to interject yes. here. The new, the, yeah, I need to interject that the newer uh, water heaters do not have uh, openable combustion chambers. So if a combustion chamber needs cleaning, it really does take a professional to do it. They have sealed the combustion chambers so people don't go in there anymore. And so that being the case, it's, uh, it's something that a professional would have to do. But I think uh, Leonard's original question was, do you have to adjust it? because of the colder weather? And the answer is no. You would okay. adjust it to whatever water temperature you want, whether it's 120, 130, or what have you. And that the water heater will do, whether it's 100 degrees outside or it's zero outside. It will continue to do the same thing. So uh, I wouldn't, uh, water heaters are fine as far as that's concerned. Let's take another call. Okay. WBAI, you're... Al, you want to finish the thought before we take the call? Well, there is a thing that uh, is going on that uh, uh, my uh, one of my friends uh, just got a, a complaint from the building that she has this uh, extended uh, air conditioning unit that project out over the mm. windowsill and over the uh, sidewalk. And now there's a big uh, run on that uh, if you have an air conditioner that doesn't have an approved New York City Department of Building uh, 
metal support bracket, uh, the building will get a summons from the city of New York, and then that summons will be given to you if you're a tenant and uh, and you put that air conditioner in, you will be responsible. Uh, but if, it's the, if the air conditioner was put in by the landowner or something like that, then they will be responsible for putting it, uh, putting the bracket in. But it, what's happening is some of these uh, windows, somebody opens up a window not knowing that the window is actually holding the air conditioning in place. And Boom. the window, the air conditioner falls out of the space in the window and down onto the street and has injured uh, pedestrians. So that that thing has been going on for a long time. But now the city is getting uh, very strict on that. So I'm just cautioning everybody who has a window air conditioner to make sure that it has a, a metal approved metal bracket to support that air conditioning unit. Okay. Now we're going to get to that caller. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, thank you. I'm calling because um, we have a house that was built seven that has a great fireplace that we use every day in the winter. And one of these really windy days, a couple of bricks fell down into the fireplace, and we had a fire a chimney person come us at the fireplace was built at a time that uh, before they did lining, and that's the cement that's holding the bricks in has started to deteriorate and is falling in. And to, in order to use it again, we need to spend several thousand dollars to have it lined. And um, I was wondering if you had any comments about that. There was yeah. a bit of a glitch. Well, what year was the house built? 1907. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, they the, the flu liners, the clay liners, which are now which are very common, didn't really start being installed into buildings coming, commonly until the 1910s, 20s, and 30s. And so, any buildings built before then had just regular brick making up the flu. In fact, the separation between the flu. And if this is an attached building, is this an attached building? No, it's a single okay. family home. But even, but even like the townhouses and brownstones here in the city, uh, the separation between the flue and the interior surfaces are only one brick thick. So there's a lot of leakage and they're very porous. Um, yes, this does need to be relined. Um, I know it's costly, but it's something that has to be done because uh, those bricks are going to continue to erode because of the uh, byproducts of the combustion of the wood is causing acid to erode the mortar and also the bricks. And that's why the bricks were falling in on you. It's an unfortunate situation, but uh, the technology of when your building was built and the technology of what we have now is obviously quite different and you do need to upgrade. In fact, I don't, agree with the chimp. Yeah, go on. Go on. Don't some people have problems because uh, they forget to open the damper before well, they, that is very, they start a fire? That is ve that's not that our is, problem. That's <laughs> not your problem. But yes, it is. Yeah, I know. You should kind of have like a mailbox, like a flag up or down so you know which direction it's in. But yes, a lot of people have done that. But that's less of a problem than the fact that what she has, because 
um, they, a couple of the bricks could fall out and she could actually have leakage into the livable mm. space. And that would be very dangerous. Okay. Right. Should, Thank you so much. Thank no you. Problem. You've suggested in the past that uh, people who have uh, wood-burning fireplaces should have a fire extinguisher near the fireplace and also one in the kitchen. Well, so this, yes, this of course. You're going to a lot of houses. I mean, I I believe that the majority of people who have a house, even though they have a kitchen and sink and, and a stove, gas or, or electric, don't have a fire extinguisher. And I think everybody should have a fire extinguisher. But the problem, the secondary problem, is not having one. Is then when you do have one, you know how to use it. Where, mm. where do you spray the water? Some people think to put the water on on the fire. No, you don't spray the air, the uh, fire extinguisher on on the fire itself, but to what is actually burning at the base of the fire. In other words, you got to bring down the kindling temperature of the fuel that is causing the fire uh, to ignite. And most fire and most fire uh, extinguishers don't use water. They either use foam. Yeah. Or or, uh, or 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 a powder-like material. Some of them actually will spray a powder out because especially if you have a grease fire, which is very common in the kitchen, if you have a grease fire, you don't want to use water at all. That will make situation much worse. Um, so it, like you were saying, Leonard, yes, people should at least read the instructions on their fire extinguishers, learn how to pull the pin out, learn how to direct the, uh, the fire extinguisher, it, it might even be worth when you buy them to buy an extra one just for a practice outside. <laughs> this is something that, I mean, I, I, people don't really realize that, that your home can kill you. And so, and I mean that with quite seriousness, um, your building can kill you. And even if it hasn't had a catastrophic event, you have to be aware of the systems because remember, you do have flames burning in your house in the sense of, either cooking, your combustion equipment, such as heating, domestic hot water. You do have gases flowing through your house in the form of natural gas. And you have moisture and water issues that can also cause catastrophic problems. So you have to be aware of all these systems. And to get them work in harmony, that is what is called our homes. And mm. so that's, you have to be fully aware of this kind of, of, this kind of equipment. And, and since this time of year, we hope that all of our windows and doors are sealed well. We, mm -hmm. If any uh, bad gases are there, uh, it could be really dangerous. Should we take another call? Let's go with it. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I was wondering if your guests had any recommendations for a water softener system. We have extremely hard water, and we were wondering, nobody seems to have an idea of what the best system would be. Where are you calling from? From Rockland County, New York. Yeah, I'm going to actually uh, say that me personally, I have very little uh, knowledge of this because I live in the, in the great city of New York where uh, our yeah. water is soft as soft can be. So w hard water issues, even when we have uh, what they call instant hot water, instant water heaters or mm -hmm. tankless water heaters where calcification is a major problem, it tends to be a lot less of a problem here in New York City because of the softness of the water. Um, I'm, 
I'm not even going to uh, go and make an opinion on this because Alvin, I really do you have any idea? Well, the only yes, there there are firms. In order to soften the water, it's a whole system that has to be installed in the house that oh. uses a, uh, different chemicals in order to extract uh, the, the uh, calcium that may be in the water. Uh, and you have to call up a company that does that on, on a regular basis. Probably uh, whether you're in the, uh, out of the city of New York, no matter where you are, uh, hard water is always a very difficult problem, but you have to use, have a, a professional to install the equipment. It's not a do-it-yourself job. But I was going to mention, but I was going to mention is that I, you know, like anything else, if when I don't know what, uh, when I'm interested in a product and I have no idea what to use, I do start doing the research and see what other people have to say about it, and and go from there. Um, it's just you you basically have to become an expert yourself on this particular matter. Um, but Sometimes I, I, you get the, misinformation on Google. That's the unfortunate part of it. Well, yeah, that's what I agree that sometimes you do. And uh, but, you know, I'm some of your neighbors, I'm sure, have had decent experiences with them. And you need to speak to them also. That's first hand knowledge is the best. Caller, I used to live in, in uh, Rockland County in Valley Cottage. Where are you located? Okay, in Nanuet. Ah, okay. In the big town. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you so much for calling. And uh, a reminder to our listeners that this is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. <laughs> can be handy men and women. Uh, and that's why we invite Alvin and Lawrence Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn to our show on a regular basis. Uh, we take your calls at 212-209-2877, and we'll be taking some more calls in just a moment. But I want to ask you about uh, the, the fact that many of us have been converting parts of our homes into offices. Uh, and should we be concerned about anything when we do that? Hmm. Not to get, not to get, not to take away your kid's play area. I think that's probably <laughs> the most important part. And, and and not to forget to deduct it on your income taxes. Um, Did you see, have you seen that, that in Washington, there's a company that sells bookcases so that uh, if you appear on one of the talk shows, you have a really interesting thing behind you. <laughs> right. Uh, rate, rate, rate my room. Yeah. Well, when I do when I do Zoom calls with the family, I try to get a good background. I look at it and see it, and I adjust the camera so it looks pretty interesting instead of just looking like you're up against the wall and you're waiting for your mugshot to be taken. But as far as um, 
just um, making I'm, – I'm going to say this sounds so ridiculous, but just make sure you're in a comfortable position and that you're not causing extra load on your back and your, and your seat. Mm-hmm. And because sitting in, a, sitting in a chair that was not designed to be sat in for hours after hours can be quite damaging to you. So it's, that's what I'm thinking for. And as far as anything else is concerned, don't overtax your electrical outlets. Don't plug 27 things into a single cord. Um, but other than that, I can't think of anything other than dom- okay. domestic, either domestic horror or domestic tranquility having a bigger issue. Let's uh, take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi. Hello. Yes. yes. How can we help you? It gets a bit confusing because we're on a bit of a delay. So unless you're listening on your phone, you're going to be a bit confused. Let's try again. BAI, you're on the air. Okay. Well, maybe she'll call back. Uh, our number. I remember our number is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven, or you can also uh, write to me at Leonard Lopate at WBAI. Org. Um, should car owners be doing anything to deal with the cold weather? That's a good question. I, I would say that, the, the, you know, the most important thing, again, like I was, you know, if you're parked in the city and you get plowed in, well, I don't think your car is going anywhere for a while until, you know, the snow starts to dissipate. But for people who have their own parking space, their outside parking spaces, again, what I found that what I did with my walkways is pre-salting or pre-you know pre-applying snow melt to the uh, to the areas in, un, you know behind the car where I'm backing out or so on. We made it really beneficial to getting in and out of the driveway. So I found that to be important. But it's also important to make sure you have enough wiper fluid. The worst thing is if you run out of wiper fluid in the middle of a trip and you then can't see anymore. And so Especially if you've been using plain water during the summer, you have to well, uh, check the, the windshield wiper fluid that you, you use in the winter, don't you? But I would say that if you're using plain water, period, that's not very bright because what will happen is if it gets really cold out, that water will freeze inside the uh, water pump and break it. And so never use uh, plain water in your washer, uh, you should always use a compound because you don't know how, like, you can go, I can go weeks during the summer and not wash my windows. And now in the winter, all of a sudden, like, every every block I have to clear mm. the screen because of all the kick-up from the other cars. Uh, so, yeah, I would never put anything but windshield wiper fluid into my car. So that's an important thing. And and, and, and on the same on the same theme is you should you should have done this already, but checking your uh, antifreeze level of uh, concentration of, of antifreeze just to make sure you have enough that in the event that it goes down to, uh, you know, to minus 10, that your engine block won't crack. So and you do that with a hydrometer? Yes, you could do yes. it with a hydrometer. Um, Alvin, Alvin, go ahead. Yes. Uh, as far as parking in the city of New York, of which Lawrence and I do a lot of, and there are some uh, uh, automobile manuals on how to drive in the snow and stuff like that. And uh, just one little article I came across, which was very interesting, and I've been using it, is that when you finally find a place 
that you could park, but there's still snow on the ground. But before you leave your car, you should run the car a little, like a foot or so in uh, forward and then a foot more back, back and forth, oh. until you run into like a, a place that the car has almost plowed some of the snow away from under the tires. And then when you come back, it'll be easy to get your car out. <laughs> okay, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Oh, yes. I was just wondering to give their opinion about uh, chimney caps. I think they're very important. Most people don't have them on their chimneys. Yes, I, I agree, because for a couple of reasons. One, it stop. It really does help inhibit downdrafts, but it also keeps the squirrels out. Um, so for both of those reasons, I think they're very important. And you're right. A lot of people do not have them. but you know, and, and they also act as, especially with... Uh, with fireplaces as a spark arrester, and it prevents uh, any any burning embers from going up the chimney. So they yeah, are they keep, are very they have, they have multiple uses. What, what's your problem, bats? I said it can keep bats out. Also, I had a friend a bat came yeah. down, got filthy, dirty with soot. Flew all around the living room and his soot was all over the place. Oh, <laughs> and, it, and it also had COVID. That's possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, was. That's, that's what I was saying started. about. That's what I was saying. Keeps the rodents out. So uh, uh -huh. yes, I agree a hundred percent. Chimney caps are very important. And they can block the chimney also if something falls in there. Yes, I actually. It's not uncommon for birds to hang out on, especially not necessarily a fireplace chimney, but on a heating equipment chimney that's producing quite a bit of carbon monoxide and the birds will sit up on the top because it's warm and then get overwhelmed by carbon monoxide and fall in and die. So and yes, swifts will go down your chimney. Also a bird, a chimney swift. That's where they yeah, roost so, at night. Right. So yes, I agree with you. Thank you for your call. Okay. Fine. We have a lot of knowledgeable listeners. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello, are you there? Hello. Yes, yes. it's you. Thank you for taking my call. I have a situation here. My furnace went down yesterday, oh. uh, the broiler. Now, um, I have Om Serve, who is my plan for the sub-winter. Uh-huh. They saw the furnace and they said that it has been carbonized. Now, he says that I have to get someone to decarbonize it. Now, my question to you is, should I have someone decarbonize or should I just get a new furnace? Well, the question is, is I'm sure what they're saying, decarbonize. In other words, you have to clean out the combustion chamber. What kind of heating is this? Is it steam, hot water, or forced air? Um, it's, it's steam, hot water. It's like a gas. Thing. Yes, but I mean, okay, it's, is it hot water? Is it, is it big cast iron radiators or baseboard radiators? No, um, the first one you said. It's not uh, cast Okay, yeah. big cast iron. So it's probably a steam yeah. system. And they're probably saying you need to clean, have the combustion chamber cleaned out. The question is, is how old is this, is this boiler? Well, I got the plan uh, 2007, so it's 13 years. 13 or 30? Three is one zero. One zero. No, it definitely pays to have it uh, cleaned out. Because a steam boiler should last at least thirty to thirty-five years, oh. so but you the, definitely the should. Is, 
the, the thing is, it's, it's so expensive to clean out because they're charging like $900 to have it clean. Mm. And I thought that was a bit too much. But a new boiler is probably close to about five, 6000 That's right. <laughs> That's yeah, I'm, I, I'm thinking that you do this clean out, it might last you another. Is it, is it it's gas heat or is it, is it gas or, or oil? Yes. That's probably, if you're getting this much carbon in your heating system, it's probably telling me that your gas burner is not operating properly. So the next thing that needs to happen is the gas burner needs to be adjusted so it's not creating that much carbon. Yeah. Because gas burners should not produce that much carbon. I mean, it shouldn't produce any, really. Um, uh, so something's going on there that that needs to be adjusted. I would actually get a second opinion from a heating contractor and see what they That's say. That's what I'm doing now. Yes. Good. Smart. See, we do have smart listeners. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. And a reminder, our number here, if you want to talk to Alvin and Lawrence, Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors, uh, the number here is 212-209-2877. Uh, and this is Let It Locate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM. We're streaming live at WBAI.org. Uh, Alvin, you mentioned that you slipped before. Uh, a lot of people are slipping on stairs, especially uh, in this icy weather. Uh, and uh, you've uh, talked in the past about how stair accidents are second only to automobile accidents. That's right. Uh, if, you, if you take a look at the Consumer Product Safety Commission and the National Safety Council uh, and many different agencies, I'll tell you that stairs are dangerous. Even when stairs are perfect geometry, they are clean, they have good frictional resistance, they are very good, they're still dangerous because a stair, if you think, you think and look at a stair, it's like climbing up and down a mountain. And each step that sticks out is like an outcropping of that mountain. And so when you accidentally fall down, uh, you really can hurt yourself. So a stair, my feeling is that every stair should have a handrail on both sides, and they and they have no, you should not have loose carpeting. You should have something it's tight. You should not use a stair to put flower pots on or toys or anything like that. Stair, when, the most the dangerous time of a stair is when you are descending the stair. When you're going down the stair, that's when most of the accidents have happened. When you're walking up a stair and you trip and fall, you fall against the stair and you maybe you, you recover from it. So what I, I have a thing about watch your step and hold on. Every single time you go down the stairs, don't carry packages in both hands and do a balancing thing to carry down packages without having your hands free that you can grasp a handrail But uh, obviously, in this kind of weather where the stairs often wind up becoming icy and there isn't always a handrail, for example, when you're uh, leaving a house and you have a couple of steps to go down, uh, it can be a real problem. So is that when we start bringing out the salt? That's when you, well, you should shovel that, uh, the, uh, the stair, exterior stairs or interior stairs. There's no difference. 
I, I see all over the city. I can't help but see it. Even the beautiful commercial buildings that have stairs at, on their entryway and no handrail. Mm. Of course, outside when it's slippery, when it's raining, when it's snowing, when it's bleeding, and there are no handrails on the stairs, even Terrible. if it's a single step stair, that is a, could be a dangerous condition. And so I'm just recommending to people to be aware of it, to insist upon if they have a home that has doesn't have a handrail, get somebody to put it in. Yeah, I keep saying to everybody when it comes to stairs, the life you save may be your own. So be careful. We have another caller hanging on. So let's take that call. BAI, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, I live in a co-op in uh, Lindenwood, Queens. Uh, the building was built in 1960. And um, they have, uh, like, vents in the <clears throat> uh, kitchen where air is blown in. Uh, it's usually cool in the uh, summer, the air that they blow in. And it's uh, usually warm in the winter. Um, but lately, uh, they've been blowing in cool air in the winter. I don't know what that means, but uh, I'm kind of concerned about... Uh, uh, I heard some things about uh, people getting COVID through the vents in their, uh, in their buildings. Let me ask you, can, uh, can I, is that a concern? Can I ask a quick question, um, follow up on this? Is what is the heat source for your, for your apartment? Is it radiators? It uses steam heat. It's, you know, one Do of you those have radiators? Crazy, uh, heaters that sounds like they someone's banging on a hammer. Yeah, that's that's the, that's uh, a whole other that's a whole other topic. But getting to yours is that these now you have vents in both the bathroom and the kitchen only, right? Yes. Okay, these vents should not be blowing out air ever. They should be sucking air out of the apartment. So if they're blowing air in, there's something wrong, and so. That is something that needs to be addressed by building management, and if not by building management, by New York City Department of Buildings, HP, HPD, because those are supposed to be negative pressure vents to suck moisture and odors out of both the bathroom and the kitchen. So this is a problem. And one of the biggest health issues with buildings is poor operating, operating ventilation systems. So this needs to be addressed. So what you've just told me is a problem. Okay. Uh, general, generally speaking, with those vents, there are two ways they function. One is a gravity ventilator, and the other one is an induced ventilator. Uh, some, some landlords, and I found that over and over again, some landlords shut the fans off because they think it's saving electricity or maybe the fan motor broke and it's too expensive to replace. Uh, that's a violation of the building code and must be addressed. Usually that's the job of a housing preservation and development, uh, HPG. Uh, they, if, if you don't have a ventilator that's working, you should call HPD. They will come down and investigate, investigate and make sure that it gets to, gets to be operating again. Thank you for your call. We don't have much time, but I received a very long 
email from a listener. Maybe we can get <laughs> starts up. My mom owns a co-op apartment in Queens. Her apartment is on the top floor of the building. In the past seven years, there have been ceiling leaks and pipe leaks behind her kitchen, living room, and bathroom walls. Uh, in 2017, the co-op apartment. Uh, the bathroom in the apartment directly below experienced a major ceiling link. And the plumbers that the uh, property management called were back and forth between her mother and uh, neighbor's bathroom to fix the leaks. Uh, the, the plumber told her that the leaks, the pipes could not, were not to code. So um, I, there's a lot more here. Uh, can, can a building have pipes that are not to code? That, well, not well, yes, <laughs> yes, and so what yes do you do? No. What well, do you yes, do if you, you know yes, that? That's that's a yes and no answer because what the plumbers love to do is they say it's not to code for today. It was probably code when the building was built. So the problem is if they need to do a repair in some conditions, they have to bring it up to the present code depending on the circumstances. So it's kind of it's kind of a very, um, I'm going to say, a gray area in a sense that a building only has to comply to the code under which it was built. So when what, the writer built, wonders, what, the writer wonders whether there's a New York City department that can check the pipes behind the bathroom wall. No, that's that, that's not no, what they do. That or find the property owner. No. Well, well, she yeah. said it was a co-op. Yeah. Oh, so she owns, but somebody built the building. And she just bought a, a space, no? Well, uh, yes, yeah, she. Alvin, you go. So, if it's a if it's a co-op, uh, the the tenant, the owner of that uh, co-op apartment, is responsible for the uh, equipment that is accessible. But when the pipes are buried in the walls, that's the responsibility of the a co-op board to make sure that they're all operating properly. Uh, even though you may be uh, an ownership of a co-op, that doesn't mean that you can't take advantage of housing preservation and development because mm. they, they look upon what's going on and make a decision whether the, that repair is uh, a apartment repair or it is a uh, building-wide repair, because most pipes that run through the, the, the walls service several apartments. Sure. Uh, the one below and the one below that one. The, the ones in a line. In that line. So that pipe, whatever it does, whether it brings whole, uh, hot water, cold water, whether it gets rid of waste products, or whatever it does, ha is the building wide problem, not a tenant problem. If the if the sink leaks underneath the cabinet someplace like that, that could be a tenant problem. But if I it's see. leaking inside the wall, that's a building problem. There is a in a proprietary lease there's usually a, a codicil or a paragraph that says that the owner owns everything from the paint in. So that means that everything that's outside the paint of the apartment belongs to the belongs to the cooperative, and so therefore it is a common, a, common, a common building element which the building is responsible for. 
So she should actually start finding out. She should get a report from whoever was there, the plumber, what have you, say what needs to be fixed. And then it's time to talk to the co-op board and say, this needs to be fixed, this needs to be fixed, this needs to be fixed. And it's your responsibility to do it. And then if it doesn't work, either call HPV or, or get advice of counsel. And we've run out of time. Okay. Just one, one last thing. Don't be afraid to call HPD, the housing. All you have to do is dial 311. They will get you in touch with the right agency that will come and investigate whatever problem you have with the building that is a pretty wide problem. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid of the landlord. Don't be afraid of, of doing things that will probably prevent you from, from doing, making, having an accident. Uh, and, and the other tenants in the building will appreciate it. And I've got to leave it there, Alvin. Alvin and Lawrence U. Bell of Accurate Building, Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, always a pleasure to have you on our show. We'll see you in a month or so. You take care. Okay, let's Thank hope you. that the situations, all these situations have improved. We'll take get care. all of America to go forth and fix. And do it safely. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and like what you've been hearing and want to hear more, you can access all of our past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes or anywhere else podcasts are available. And there are links to all of our past shows on our show's website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to comment on any of our shows or just want to say hello, you can reach me directly at my email address, LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I'd like to take just a minute or two to ask for your support for WBAI. This pandemic has had a devastating impact on the station's finances, so we need all of our listeners who can do so to step up and make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602 right now to keep the kind of unique in-depth content we bring you on this show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And it's especially important because BAI is the only station on the New York City radio dial that's completely listener-sponsored. So why not make that call right now in the name of London Lopate at Large so we can keep bringing you the kind of unique long-form interviews you don't hear on any other station. Where are you going to get an hour with Alan Larry Bell providing the kind of useful information you've heard on in the last hour? Again... The number is 516-620-3602. You can go to give2wbai.org on the web. And to everyone who has already stepped up to support our program during this terrible pandemic, thank you. We're off tomorrow, but we hope you'll join us again on Thursday when Leonard Casuto and Robert Weisbrook will discuss their book, The New PhD, How to Build a Better Graduate Education. See you then. <laughs>